0: Some good to Afternoons. With me, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for joining me today. I hope your day's going well. I hope you're staying cool. It's pretty hot where I'm from and I hope uh, you're staying cool and getting lots of hydration. I got a, two bottles of water here and I'm going to go through both of them probably in the next five minutes. We have a great show today. Um, Rob Blue is going to be joining me, executive editor. I go right to the top for you, my listener of the Daily Signal and then uh, Christopher Hudson is going to be joining me in the first hour. You know, I read that artificial intelligence can solve a Rubik's Cube in one second. I spent four days unsuccessfully trying to get my Rubik's Cube out of its clamshell packaging, and so far I've only bled twice. So, AI's got nothing to worry about. Let me take a break and then get Rob Lui on. Statesman
1: Edmund Burke is noted for saying the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That statement should encourage all of us to engage in culture and be the salt and light Jesus calls us to be. But Burke also said this. Nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. Could I suggest that many who listen to Faith Radio have that perspective when it comes to supporting this ministry? Believing a small gift doesn't make a difference. They don't get involved. As Burke says, this is a great mistake. Faith Radio is fueled by many gifts that might be considered small by today's standards twenty, thirty, or forty dollar single gifts, or ten or twenty dollars a month. Each of these gifts, when combined with the others, form the foundation on which this outreach is built. So thanks for your willingness to do something rather than nothing. Because of your gifts, the gospel goes out and lives are changed. Make your gift, whatever the size, today at myfaithradio.com.
0: That is the walk-up music for Rob Bluey, executive editor of the Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to check it out. That song was chosen by uh, him and his family. Rob, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Bill. It's great to be with you.
0: That's pretty peppy music you guys picked out.
2: Well, we try, you know. <laughs> we, we we hope people are on their toes and uh ready for the day's news, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it's it's pretty hot around the country. It's going to be uh, close to 100 here in Minnesota this week and it's uh, just about hot everywhere in the country, especially in Washington D.C., where you live.
2: Well, the temperature hot and so is hot, <laughs> and so is the political rhetoric. Let's let's face it. I mean, we have uh, have entered the week here, and uh, it is going to be a busy day. Uh, the Congress, the U.S. House of Representatives, will tonight vote on a resolution condemning President Trump's uh, recent uh, tweets. You've had uh, four members of the House Democratic Party step forward last night uh, to provide a litany of examples which they say prove that he is a racist. And the president is, uh, you know, doubling down, even tripling down on the fact that he's uh, standing by his comments here saying that if people don't like America, then they should just leave. So there's uh, certainly a lot to talk about and focus on uh, w- with regard to that. But at the same time, Bill, uh, you know, uh, the business uh, <laughs> continues to go on, and the Senate's confirming judges, and, and uh, we still have uh, some, you know, pretty big obstacles uh, when it comes to immigration and the new asylum rules. So I think we'll be busy <laughs> for the segment today.
0: Yeah, of course, his uh, his tweets are inappropriate and and vile but you know it seems to me he is the first true social media president isn't he
2: well he sure is and uh and you know i had the opportunity to participate last week in the white house social media summit with about uh, 250 other individuals uh, a combination of digital directors from different government agencies uh, people like myself who who come from a, a digital media social media background and and work for an organization like the heritage foundation and daily signal that does that work and then people who are you know just um Social media stars, really, or as they called themselves, meme makers, Uh, those who are using social media individually and have built a strong following, oftentimes maybe even retweeted by the president. And, uh, you know, this is really what he's been able to do in terms of speak directly to the American people. And and let's face it, most of the time it works. Uh, He's able to bypass that mainstream media filter, take his message directly to Americans. And other times he says things, uh, as he did on Sunday morning, when a lot of us were waking up, uh, that uh, that really set people the wrong way. I agree with you. Uh, what the president said was wrong. He should not have said it. Um, his words uh, certainly, uh, you know, brought back, I think, many painful memories for, for immigrants and others who have uh, been told uh, to go back to their country. And uh, I suspect that even my ancestors who come from Poland and settled in this country uh, about 100 years ago probably heard similar taunts themselves uh, at a time when they were – they were, uh, you know, figuring out the American way of life, and maybe others who were here uh, born natively uh, didn't necessarily like the fact that they were coming over. So I think that it's, um, it's unfortunate uh, that we had to resort to this, this type of language. At the same time, I do think what the House is planning to do tonight is probably purely a, a partisan exercise uh, to condemn the president, and you'll probably see it uh, defeated or, or it'll probably pass, I'm sorry, it'll probably pass, Bill, but, uh, but along party, party lines, and I don't think it'll go much farther than that.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, are the uh, journalists behind social media? Are they the ones that are mostly responsible for spreading fake news stories?
2: You know, well, in terms of this summit, it was really interesting, Bill, because the White House didn't disclose, even to attendees like myself, much information, and so you had all sorts of hysteric uh, responses from the, the mainstream press about what this summit was going to be. Uh, frankly, I didn't know there would be 250 people there until I arrived at the White House and saw that we were going to be in that large room where he does, you know, some of his big press conferences or maybe introduces a new Supreme Court nominee. And uh, and it really was, you know, classic Trump, just talking about uh, social media as a way to to bypass what he calls fake news. And also to highlight what he also sees as censorship on the part of some of the major tech companies, uh, we've experienced that ourselves at the Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal. We've um, I think you and I have talked about it in the past about how one of our most popular videos ever, featuring a pediatrician talking about the dangers of giving puberty blockers to young children, was censored by uh, Facebook. They removed that video, and it took us uh, appealing to them really to get it back online unfortunately uh the video stopped um you know gaining much much traction after that uh, we've since discovered that YouTube has now removed that video, so it's not available on the YouTube platform. So uh, we've experienced these these episodes ourselves. Oftentimes they're defined as hate speech, and unfortunately, I think increasingly the views of, of Christians like myself and, and others um, who who may share some traditional values uh, are considered hate speech, and I think that that's highly unfortunate. I think there's a disconnect between the people who are working in Silicon Valley and much of America.
0: Yeah. Well, Rob, I always have to uh, say thank you and all your colleagues the daily signal that do such a great job of reporting uh there are so many outlets now on the internet where you don't know what kind of news you're getting it's real if it's reliable if it has it's uh, if it has credible sources um and who knows what you're reading and believing but the 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 tendency is there can be a lot a lot of misinformation
2: that's right you are absolutely correct about that and, and there are some some ways to help uh, navigate uh, that uh, there's a uh a great organization called NewsGuard, which which will evaluate the, the credibility of news organizations. I'm very proud of the fact that the Daily Signal has a perfect rating, nine for nine, on their checklist. Um, doing things like making sure that you have a corrections policy, making sure that there's an editor to contact if there's a, a question about uh, some of the content, uh, being transparent in, in some of your practices and policies. Uh, these are things that, that some, some sites uh, – Maybe human sites that are are largely operated by bots and don't even have a human behind them are, are resorting to because they see it as a quick way to maybe make a buck through through easy advertising, but uh, don't necessarily have in mind uh, the end users and the audience because uh, that's one of the things that we we take pride in at the Daily Signal, and I know you do at Faith Radio. We want to be able to provide reliable, factual, credible, truthful information uh, to our audience.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, I know there was once upon a time uh, we would engage in civil dialogue, and I think we would do it um, with kindness and courtesy, and I don't think we're doing that anymore. I think what we're doing now, it seems like expressing outrage at each other and raising our voices. I would love for you to talk to uh, our, our listeners about that.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a certainly way, a good way of putting it, Bill. Um, look, I, I mean, I, frankly, a lot of this is, uh, is just foreign to me because, I grew up in an environment where we treated – we were taught to treat others with respect. Um, I uh, might hold different political opinions. I certainly did when I was in college. I was in in a political minority in that case, and and yet I was still able to edit my college newspaper and and have uh, respectful debates and dialogue and feature different opinions and I think what we're seeing today is uh, you know, really unfortunate is that people don't even want to engage with some family members. We had an interesting interview on our Daily Signal podcast yesterday with Dr. Jeannie Safer uh, who's married to Richard Brookheiser, who's a senior editor at National Review. They're opposites politically. Jeannie's a, a hardcore liberal. He's a hardcore conservative but they've been married for almost 40 years. Bill, I know this is possible. I know people <laughs> can have political differences and still get along. Uh, I think that one of, the peop- one of the things contributing to this though is so Social media and and how we behave on social media, I think, is is really um, uh, reflective of who we are as a culture, and it's setting in many cases a bad example for our children. And and I hope that we can uh, set a positive example as role models for them, so they don't behave like we see today with some of the actions uh, from our leaders here in Washington and across the country.
0: Yeah, how would uh, twenty-year-old Rob Bluey do today in today's college university?
2: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I <laughs> I would hope I'd, I'd be able to do the same. Look, you know, <laughs> Bill. Uh, you know, I, I the way I approach this is I, I want to always be respectful of, of somebody else's opinion. So I, I, I feel that, you know, God gave us, uh, you know, two ears and one mouth, so mm-hmm. I'm always approaching it from from the opportunity and the standpoint of wanting to listen to others. Uh, you and I have talked about how I've tried to go to places uh, that, that sometimes are uncomfortable, like the South Bronx, and talk to people who are with Black Lives Matter or other organizations who you typically wouldn't find a conservative talking to. But I really do think that there's a lot of value in, in engaging. With uh, with individuals who don't necessarily see eye to eye with you all the time, and uh, and I feel like you know, in, in some of the choices that I've tried to make for for myself and our family has tried to make for our children, um, you know, we're trying to teach them that way. So I don't know how I'd, I'd frankly fare at a, at a place like Ithaca College today. Um, it, it is quite a liberal school, but um, hopefully the people there would still have the respect uh, for for my my opinions and. Uh, you know, uh, that's all I think that we can ask for. I think at many college campuses, though, that's just disappearing.
0: Yeah. Rob, uh, we're going to go to break in just a minute, but comment on uh, Coretta Scott King, her address at Harvard after uh, uh, Martin Luther King, her husband, was assassinated. And how what we had at that point was the freedom of speech, yet that students have definitely, I mean, as we're talking about this, just add your two cents to that.
2: Yeah, well, look, uh, you know that this is uh, you know one of those moments where you know it's it's you're looking for for clarity and understanding and you're you're looking for somebody to help provide that meaning and this is this is why I you know I go back to something that that Arthur Brooks, who's actually leaving the who's left the American Enterprise Institute as its president, is going to Harvard to teach, and and Bill, uh, what what Arthur said, and he wrote a, a new book. Uh, which goes into this in much greater detail than we can get into today. But he said, you know, really we should be aiming for more than civility and tolerance. We really should be aiming to love each other. Uh, w- would you treat your your, your spouse civilly? I, I hope you treat them better than civilly. Would you tolerate your boss or your, your fellow colleagues? I hope you would do more than tolerate them. And so I think that whether it's Coretta Scott King or whether it's somebody else who's uh, providing a a message that uh, that we do um, take it seriously and that we as Americans, I think that's what makes our country great. Um, embrace some of those those ideas and viewpoints that we might not necessarily agree with. And I think uh, it, you know, it's okay to let it challenge us sometimes. Uh, yeah. that's, uh, that's fine.
0: Yeah, indeed. Rob Blue is my guest. Of course, he is the executive editor of The Daily Signal. And head over to dailysignal.com. We'll take a short break and be right back with Rob. back to the show. Rob Blue is my guest. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. Go to dailysignal.com to learn more about uh, Rob and his team. Um, So Rob, it looks like the president uh, is going to put limits on the asylum claims at the border. I do need some explanation on this one.
2: Yes. So what we've seen, Bill, is a uh, dramatic influx of migrants crossing the, the southern border. In, case, in many cases, they're not from Mexico. They're coming from countries south of Mexico, which means that they probably had to pass through uh, several countries, and especially Mexico, to get here. What the president is essentially doing is saying that you need to first claim asylum in the country that you enter. Uh, so, for instance, if you are from uh, you know, uh, Guatemala, uh, the first country that you would enter would be Mexico. Uh, if you sh- you should apply for asylum there, if you're if you're really a refugee seeking a seeking asylum, uh, that is the most appropriate place to make that claim. It doesn't mean that you can't eventually work your way to the United States. But if you pass all the way through Mexico and you apply for asylum for the first time in the United States, uh, you know, we're going the, the United States government has made the decision now that it'll send you back to your your country of origin. And uh, and, you know, I think it's a policy that we've we've long recognized is probably be, be probably being abused. Uh, people obviously desire, have a strong desire to come to the United States. Uh, I think I've seen a statistic, Bill, where 90 percent of asylum claims end up being dismissed uh, you know, because they're, they're not legitimate claims. Um, you know, so we really should be reserving that asylum status for people who, who need it, um, not necessarily those who just want to cut in front of the line and, uh, and obtain uh, the ability to live in the United States.
0: And, Rob, it's probably important to uh, remind – Listeners as well as me, that if you are seeking asylum, the rules of asylum are the first country you enter is the one you need to first seek asylum in.
2: Correct, that, and that's exactly what what is going on here. Now, this is look, this is one of those actions that Congress really should have taken a long time ago. We've already seen the dramatic change in uh, Ken Cuccinelli, who's who's now at the Department of Homeland Security, was speaking about this over the weekend. Since Congress just recently, a couple weeks ago, passed that humanitarian aid bill, we've seen a dramatic change in what our our, our border – patrol has been able to do with some of those facilities that have become that have taken on such a notorious uh, standing in our in our society uh, where the democratic presidential candidates have visited because they've actually have the resources now to accommodate the the large influx of people that is just one step imagine if congress took this step by step and started to address some of these problems including asylum including more immigration judges we might be able to actually make some progress on this unfortunately we're such a stalemate that President Trump has had to resort to taking executive action in this case. And we know what that means. It'll probably be challenged in court, and it'll be tied up in the, the judicial system for, for a long time. But in any case, uh, he's, he's doing, uh, I think, what he's set out to do, the promises he's made, and he's trying to hopefully um, you know, make this a fair system for everybody who's
0: involved. Mm-hmm. Rob, s- several of the judges that President Trump has appointed, the Ninth Circuit is giving pro-lifers uh, a nice win.
2: That's right. Well, first of all, I think the most important thing – we well, we can get to the substance of the case in a minute, but you and I have talked in the past about the importance of uh, – the, the legacy that Trump has in terms of his judicial appointments, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And uh, this is one of those those cases where, where we've seen the real-life consequence uh, to, to what it means to confirm judges. The Ninth Circuit uh, was one of the most overwhelmingly liberal Courts in the land. This is the the Court of Appeals directly before cases would reach the Supreme Court, and oftentimes cases would go ag- that would go against President Trump. Or I remember as long, far back as President George W. Bush uh, being stymied in many cases by the, uh, the the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. President Trump has now appointed, I believe, seven judges to that Ninth Circuit. He has completely remade this Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and it just goes to show the uh the ability to uh you know take that wrench out of the left's uh, arms in this particular case what they what they've essentially done is they said that uh that, that planned parenthood isn't able to um you know have the uh government's backing for uh the, the to, to use uh, um, the Trump administration's funding for abortion, uh, this has been a long standing U- policy, but uh, the Ninth Circuit has said the administration has the ability to put in place these family planning rules that limit planned parenthood 's ability to carry out abortion and and frankly, uh, for all those who have valued the sanctity of life, I think it 's a huge win, but i I also think it 's a reflection of the the changing uh, judicial system in our country and and a positive development
0: yeah really um, really a nice a nice. Piece of news for pro-lifers, uh, which is me, you, everybody That's probably right. listens to this station. All right, um, let's talk about minimum wage. Now, if if we do raise it, if it raises to fifteen, is it going to be helping or hurting in the long run?
2: Well, we've just found out from the Congressional Budget Office, which is studying the issue, that it is actually going to have a pretty devastating consequence. It it will uh, it will end up hurting more Americans and small businesses, and and here's the reason why because the minimum the federal government imposing a minimum wage is, is is not the best policy approach to to helping americans uh succeed economically frankly if a if a private business wants to take that action that's well within their responsibility to to do so but the federal government imposing this nationwide doesn't it uh, doesn't you know address the fact that somebody in Minnesota might have a different uh, uh, approach or or living standard than somebody in Washington DC and uh, that's exactly what you're seeing here so basically what the the report from this congressional budget office which evaluates all the legislation that goes through congress is they've said that if you boost the minimum if you boost the wage to 15 Dollars that it's going to cost about uh you know anywhere from one to three million Americans their jobs and it's uh it's going to have the the biggest effect on those who need those jobs the most it's going to have the biggest effect on low income workers because basically what it means bill is if you don't make a certain dollar threshold like if, for instance if you don't have an earning of power of thirty five thousand dollars. The company probably will just cut you loose, and will look elsewhere for for how to do that, whether they turn to automation or or something else. And so there are a lot of people who may be part-time employees, or high school, or maybe people who don't, you know, possess all of the uh, the, the, the college diploma and degree, degree, and and you know just don't necessarily have that much earning power, they're going to be uh, affected because they're going to lose their jobs. And so it's not going to help them. And I think that this is one of the consequences that we've seen. So as the House takes action to to approve this bill, which could happen as early as this week, uh, it's not going to go anywhere in the Senate. But, I mean, it's a reminder of when the government gets involved and starts meddling in our economy, what some of the consequences might be.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob, did you go to a conference on socialism? Did I hear that?
2: I did not go to the conference on socialism, but my colleague at the Daily Signal, Jared Stetman, who's been a guest on your program. Oh yes, program, I like Jared. Uh, Certainly had certainly did. Jared flew to Chicago, not too far from you, Bill, and uh, he attended over the July 4th holiday. What a time to hold a conference on <laughs> socialism! Uh, this uh, this phenomenal event in which he learned a lot. Um, so uh, all the socialists got together in Chicago for their national conference and uh, adorned with Karl Marx posters and all sorts of communist uh, material. Jared saw firsthand what their what their agenda was, and he's got a great story, which is really popular right now um, on our website uh, dailysignal.com all about the conference and what he observed i really would encourage your listeners to check it out because i think that it's one of those things that we try to do at the daily signal is go to these places where other news organizations might not typically go Mm -hmm. and tell the truth about what they're talking about and the radical ways that they want to transform this country and i will tell you it is uh it is certainly frightening to to hear about some of the things that they want to do um and and frankly it's mind-boggling it like the, the thing that stuck out to me as a as a as a as a parent as a father is they want to get rid of the family because they think that that is the the family structure is uh is pure is capitalistic and. The way to have a socialist structure would be to have basically. It sounds like get rid of marriage, uh, get rid of all sorts of family structure. Is kind of the, the the term was used open sourced. <laughs> I mean in terms of in terms of uh, reproduction, I don't know what that exactly means or how that would be carried out. But Bill, I mean it's truly frightening if these ideas become mainstream. Uh, what they might mean for for our values.
0: Wow, that's stunning. I am going to go to DailySignal.com and read uh, Jarrett Stepman's uh, report on the Socialism Conference because it sounds fascinating. I'm sorry I didn't get a chance to read it in front of our discussing uh, this today. Rob, thank you for always calming my jagged nerves.
2: Well, thank you, Bill. It's always great to be with you on Faith Radio.
0: Yep. Have a nice uh, week and stay cool.
2: Thank you. Yep.
0: Rob Louie has been my guest, executive editor of The Daily Signal. Make sure you go to dailysignal.com to check it out. We'll take a little break and be right back. You heard of the great exciting adventures of David and Goliath or the amazing story of Noah or Daniel in the lion's den, but you don't know all the details um, or maybe you've read some of these Bible stories like a long time ago, but you're just not entirely sure how they all fit together and what you're supposed to get out of them. And that's what we you know call Bible study. And sometimes we just really need helpful books along the way to give us kind of this uh, information in a nice condensed form. My guest, Christopher uh, Hudson, uh, uh, co-wrote a book with Stan Campbell, and it's called The Most Important Stories of the Bible, Understanding God's Word Through the Story It Tells, and it's a really, it's a great little book. It's compact. It uh, lays out all the stories and talks about how they all tie together. It's really, really well done, and Christopher Hudson is my guest, or possibly it's his uh, stunt double. Christopher, Welcome.
3: Bill, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, nicely done with this book. I love books like this. Just so you know.
3: Yeah, no, it's 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 helpful to get oriented. Uh, the Bible is a big book. You know, there's a lot of chapters—eleven hundred, nearly twelve hundred chapters, lots of verses, hundreds of characters—and how do you keep track of it all? And a book like this just is designed just to help orient you and know exactly. Okay, how does this story fit with the next?
0: And a lot of people, when they start studying the Bible, they feel intimidated because they don't know some of the basic stories and they're afraid to engage in discussion with others in fear of being asked and they can't put a story in context and they they go oh, i think that's an old testament story and it really is a book like this just gives people a little reference point too they can have this this book on their coffee table pick it up read through it have it as a reference just to just to keep yourself refreshed fair? yeah
3: it's yeah fair it's it's designed to... You know, each each chapter is only just a, a two or three pages, with the idea that it's a, it, you can access it when you like, and get oriented with the, the 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 story of the Bible. The Bible is one story. It's it's God's love story of humanity, telling the story of of His revelation to us, and this helps give the overview. It's the <laughs> the Wikipedia article, right? The short version article yes. of, of the whole of the whole Bible. Yeah, and each
0: yep. each chapter sort of ends with what you call the essential truth. And the next chapter always begins with, the story continues.
3: Yeah. Nicely done. They, yeah, they they do continue. You know, we, we t- tend to read the Bible artificially in the sense that we read a chapter today and another chapter tomorrow without stopping to think, well, how do these go together? And, and how does the story fit together? And how does Noah lead to Abraham? And how does Abraham lead to Isaac? And how does that lead to Ruth? And, and all the stories do connect. And it, it crescendos with Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel that God loved us, Enough to send Jesus. And we miss that when we just read a chapter at a time. It's good to read a chapter at a time, but we can forget the big picture.
0: Yeah. Now, Christopher, I would imagine you'd recommend this as a really good starting point for people who have never read the Bible.
3: Yeah. We designed it, Stan and I designed it exactly for that, but also for someone who maybe it's been a while since they've read the Bible and you start to forget the details. Kind of an illustration example, you know, my kids, I've got three kids and they wanted to take me to an Avengers movie, but so many Avengers movies, movies have happened. How could I possibly – I didn't have time to sit and watch them all. So I got online, and I read a few articles, and I got caught up. I'm like, okay, now I can get this one. Um, and this this book is designed to be the same way. It would be best if we all sat down and read 1,189 chapters within a couple of weeks, and we c- captured it all. But short of that, this book is designed to give us that basic orientation say, okay, oh, now I get this story.
0: Mm-hmm. I am, and I'm looking at the book, and here you've got in Genesis 28 through 33, there's the title, Jacob Becomes Israel, and for a lot of new Christians, they're going to be very intrigued by virtually everything you write in this book.
3: Yeah, no, it's all, um, you know, we get bits and pieces through our Sunday school classes and sermons, and it all starts to sound familiar, but if you were to sit down, they end up being Scrabble pieces in front of us. What goes with what? How do we connect all these together? And, um... Yeah, it's it's a tough timeline to keep track of.
0: Yeah, so we can read this book, we can take a chapter, go through it slowly, absorb it, and then we can try to figure out exactly how we can use these truths in our daily lives. We can start doing that right away too, can't we?
3: Yeah, there's there's character of God that applies to us right away. With things we learn about God and things we learn about ourselves that are from page one when we realized that God loved the world so much, but he cares about our heart. Cain and Abel is a story that shows that God cares about our hearts more than our actions. And a lot of times in churches we get caught up in the actions, right? We put on our best, we look really good, and and we we forget that, no, the story of Cain and Abel and so many others in the Bible is really a story of God wanting to see our hearts devoted to him and following him, um, whether our actions are in line with that or not.
0: Mm-hmm. let's talk about the story of cain and abel just let's pick a story out of the book and just sort of give listeners a chance to understand how you think and how you go about it you say the story continues adam and eve cast out of eden now have children their separation from god has led them to their propensity to sin which is carried on to this generation say more
3: yeah, the the idea that right away the story of Cain and Abel is happening right after and many people don't realize this, right after the, the the fall that Adam and Eve ate the fruit and as a result every part of life was corrupted, our relationship with God was corrupted, our relationship with the earth was corrupted, where God said now the earth's going to grow thorns. And our relationship with each other was corrupted. It's no longer pure, and that's why we have wars, and that's why we have uh, arguments with our siblings, and that's why we coworkers sometimes get along. And the first example of that, in the very next chapter after Adam and Eve eat the fruit, is Cain says, "Hey Abel, let's go out in the field together. I got something. I got this rock to show you," and uh, and and it ends with murder. And um, but ultimately, the takeaway from that, there's there's a number of them, but one takeaway that we highlight in the book is that God cares mostly about God cares about our heart and Abel's sacrifice was approved because his heart was pure and Cain's sacrifice was not approved because he was trying to keep up appearances or earn God's approval or something was amiss and that's a powerful lesson for us because that that, that's something that every day I may not be tempted to kill my sibling but I am tempted to show a heart that's not truly devoted to God and realize that that relationship takes a backseat to so many other motivations.
0: Mm-hmm. Christopher, I find this interesting. I love that bumper sticker that says, Hate is not a family value. <laughs> and I have to think, at one point there was only one family in the whole world, and in that family there was a murder.
3: Yeah. But but I think the comforting thing for that is there's redemption in that, and that, that God, even when all of us, all of us fail and all of us do not, treat our families like we should, even the best of families. we've got a good family, but there's moments when we our humanity and our sin shows um but even in that we have a takeaway there that God cares about our heart, and I can treat a family member badly, one of my kids badly, or they can treat me badly, but what's the heart in that and and is the heart devoted to Jesus and say, yeah, you know what i I did not respond well in this moment." But I've got a heart that wants to honor Jesus and do better, and that's different than having a kid, for example, that just toes the line, but who, whose heart is far. Uh, and that, I think as parents, we any parent can understand that difference, and that's what God wants of us. He wants a heart that's faithful and loyal and devoted. It, it may not be perfect in the actions, but the heart's right.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the story continues with Noah and the flood, and last night in the greater Twin Cities area, we had a severe thunderstorm and tons and tons of rain, and I thought huh, this is coming down pretty hard. Um, and then a beautiful double rainbow popped up just mm. because of the whole day. And there's a lot of people that don't even understand the, the biblical idea of a rainbow.
3: Yeah, that idea of the, of the rainbow that God promised never to uh, destroy the earth again uh, the worldwide it, 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 with the flood is the promise. that, And God puts his rainbow as a sign to that. But I think the story of, of Noah reminds us that even in the darkest Of humanity, and in the darkest situations in the world, uh, God still is there. And even in judgment, God delivers his righteous, those that are his own. And he has an eye on his own. And I think that is important when when we are especially struggling through a rough time to realize I'm the only Christian here, I'm the only one trying to be faithful to God, I'm the only one who's going to church, I'm the only one who's keeping these moral values or whatever it is we hold on to. God sees that, and we we have a God who sees us, and even though sometimes we feel like we're the only one, uh, the story of Noah reminds us that God intervenes and saves and has his hand, even if we are the only one. Uh, God rescues, and God loves, and God sees, and, and doesn't leave us uh, to spoil with those around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, if you're uh, wondering where could I get my hands on a little book that would talk about the most important most important stories in the Bible, I'm holding it in my hand right now. Written by Christopher Hudson and Stan Campbell, and Christopher, as I you know, you, you think of if someone said to you, "Hey, tell me about the Tower of Babel," I just wonder how many Christians would freeze up a little bit and go, uh, "Yeah." So <laughs> you know, you've got all these little stories in in Scripture and how they how they all fit together. So uh, in a page and a half, you talk about the Tower of Babel. So tell our listeners how you might answer that question.
3: Yeah, you know, it, it, and ultimately, I think even more important than the Tower of Babel, we remember that, most of us remember that from Sunday school, we heard a reference, people building a tower, and uh, God scattered the world, uh, scattered the nations of the world, and that's where we get different languages, and that's where we get different people groups and cultures. Um, But in that, you uh, have—this is all part of a storyline for the entire Bible. This this is not an isolated incident that puts a period at the end of the story. God scatters the nations, but then within that, you see God's work to collect the nations to become his church and his people. And you see through the story of the Bible, God appoints his people Israel. And then from that, we have Jesus. Jesus grows his church, and the church goes back to the nations that have been scattered throughout the world— and we now make disciples of all people all around the world and, and share the gospel with them. And God redeems and buys back all the people that he, at one point, scattered across the nations. Now he's bringing them back to his own and bringing them back into one central kingdom, the kingdom of God. And that's something that uh, the Tower of Babel is just, it's its the fast forward, so to speak, that mm-hmm. people go out. And then at the end, we all God brings them all back.
0: Yeah, you say the essential truth God's will shall be accomplished with or without human cooperation. <laughs>
3: it, it, That's a
0: great it, sentence.
3: For us, don't we? We want to push it, don't we? We always want to have our lives in order oh, and everything yes. lined up.
0: Yes. And
3: sometimes uh, life happens and sin happens and we don't get to have it the way we want. But God works anyway.
0: Mm hmm. Ah, uh, Christopher, I, talk why it is so important that we have a full understanding of these these wonderful, great stories in 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 the Bible, and how important that is for just our growing relationship with God.
3: Yeah, you know, I you nailed it with the end of the question. The, the point of of knowing the Bible is not so that we can win Bible Jeopardy, and be smarter than you know, look smart in Sunday school class or in church when the pastor asks a question. But it's to know God. The the story of the Bible is one that God is revealing who he is, and he reveals his character, and we can see him at work. And we read the Bible not so that we can become smart, but we read the Bible and not so that we can become good, but we read the Bible so that we can know him. And... uh, a book like this, ultimately, I, 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 my passion is I want people to read the Bible. They get into the Bible, read, engage, and apply the Bible. That's my life mission. Um, but it's daunting for some. And if we can put some training wheels on for a week or two, and, and a book like this can help jumpstart Bible reading again for somebody who's who's lapsed or never been into Bible reading, uh, that's, that's my heart and the hope for a book like this.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me take a little break. Christopher Hudson is my guest. He co-wrote this book with Stan Campbell, and it's called The Most Important Stories of the Bible, Understanding God's Word Through the Stories It Tells. After about 90 seconds, we'll be back with more Christopher. Johnson is my guest. He's uh, written a book with Stan Campbell called The Most Important Stories of the Bible, Understanding God's Word Through the Stories It Tells. And it's always important to know that it's one story and they all fit together beautifully, just the way God planned. Um, Christopher, and you were putting this book together um, and laying it out. Are you drawn to particular stories that you just sort of lean into more than others? You kind of like a little bit more than others or get more excited about
3: you know the the Bible is a rich book. There's 66 individual books, 1189 chapters, um, and and where do you start? Right, there, right. there's so many stories I right. mean, hundreds of people. How do you how do you pick? And I think the if. To use the the, the literary phrase, the arc, the the storyline, the arc of the storyline that leads up to Jesus and shows us, because ultimately the Bible exists to show us who Jesus Christ is, and that through His death and sacrifice on the cross and resurrection, we can know God, and and our and our sins can be uh, taken care of, so that God can have fellowship with us and we can approach God. And the stories specifically that show the singular thread that help us follow that storyline. Uh, are the ones we decided to include here. Um, that show that humanity that 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 we're sinful, we're lost, but God is knowable and God knows us and loves us and doesn't leave us as he found us. He works hard worked hard to bring us back to himself. And the stories that really show that clearly without a lot of explanation, because this is a short book. And so we only have a page and a half or so for each story, a couple pages. And so the ones that we could really synthesize and show that thread uh, was was what we aimed for.
0: Mm -hmm. I, I always gravitate toward the essential truth, because I know the stories, and I'm always curious to see what you have capsulized as the essential truth. And I really love the one that you've written about Ruth and Boaz. And the essential truth is God brings joy to the lives of ordinary people and he may have something even more special in mind for their future generations that's such a comforting thought
3: it is and and Ruth and Boaz had no idea right they were just trying to serve like like us trying to survive to make sure that they had just enough grain for tomorrow mm-hmm. and that they could live their lives and have a tent over their head that wasn't leaking and And they had no clue that Jesus Christ was going to become their descendant, that that, what the gospel message was going to mean. Um, And we're the same way. We live our lives, and sometimes we struggle. We fall back into bed at the end of the day and say, Lord, I can't believe I made it back here. Help me not to screw up tomorrow. (laughs) Without realizing that something may have happened that years later, and we've had these, I think. If you're old enough, you look back and say, wow, God did that. I didn't realize, but 20 years ago I had this conversation, and as a result, something happened which we have the benefit of through history, that we don't get to see in the day-to-day. And all we can do every day is show up, be faithful, do what God's called us to do, and through His grace, He allows us to see sometimes that what we did actually played a part of His plan.
0: Mm -hmm. When you say that you're giving about a page, page and a half for um, each of these topics, how did you deal with the kings and the prophets?
3: uh well unfortunately with, with there's about seventy five entries in this book, so okay. there are seventy five chapters um and so we could not go into each one i right. think we tried we tried to give a sample give us some high points to so show okay here's david here's what uh they, you know one of the great insights I think that we stumbled on together was amazing things happen amazing things happen when you give God your to do list David's moment with Dave, with Goliath started because he just showed up at the battlefield with bread and cheese for his brothers. No kidding. And he shows up yes. at the battlefield, and all of a sudden Goliath happens. And we give God our to-do list, and great things can happen.
0: Yeah, that's uh, a great point. All right, let's talk a little bit about the New Testament, too, because I love when you talk about something like the Jesus' authority over evil spirits. And the essential truth you have on that little chapter is, although evil exists in today's world, the power of God keeps it in check and will someday do away with it forever.
3: Yeah. You know, we, the, I think the great mystery of the benefit we have as, as Christ followers is we get to see uh, some reality of that now, and it's a taste of what's to come. And so we have, in, in Jesus, when he healed someone of a disease or healed someone of a uh, cast out an evil spirit, it was temporary relief. Let's take Lazarus. We all know the story where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that was all well and good, but we forget sometimes that Lazarus probably Lazarus died again at some point and was not raised again. Um, but in that moment when Jesus raised Lazarus, He showed what life will become eventually in heaven. We get a little taste, a foretaste, of what's going to come. And these other stories of Jesus healing the lepers or casting out an evil spirit, it doesn't take that person's problems completely away. It it shows us a significant problem that is uh, relieved, but it's a taste of what heaven will be like for those who follow Jesus and are in fellowship with him. And I think that's – if I get another – I think a takeaway for us as Christians is that's our job, too, is to help improve our world and the lives of those around us and give them a taste of heaven that what faith in Jesus Christ is going to one day be like. And if I can alleviate suffering or if I can help um, in one particular place, I'm giving someone a taste of what heaven will be like. Not perfectly, but I think that's an important way we model Jesus as we interact with others.
0: hmm When I think of the disciples, uh, Christopher hanging out with Jesus for three years, and he's growing in his popularity, and now he's all of a sudden starting to shift to helping them prepare for his death and departure, and they're in confusion. And he does something as powerful as the transfiguration. Um, And yet Jesus was fully human. He was also fully God, and he did that by demonstrating it on rare occasions. It's really great to know those stories well, isn't it?
3: Yeah, we. we it, it reminds us that Jesus was not just human, as you said. He he was both fully man, but also fully God, and he was not just a good teacher. He was, in, and this is an important. This is an important in our culture and world. Jesus was not as good as Muhammad, or as good as Buddha, or as good as pick your favorite deity. We, I understand the, the concept of coexisting, the famous bumper sticker. And we do want to live in harmony and with love for our neighbor. But Jesus is not on par and equal to all these really. He is God himself. And as a result, he is the only one true God that we can worship to find a pathway to God. And, and moments like the transfiguration remind us of that.
0: Mm-hmm. When you think of like the resurrection of Lazarus and when the Bible says that, um, you know, he... He showed up after he knew he was dead, and you start to go, huh, he could have gotten there on time, and he chose not to. Yeah. So um, talk about that story and how that pieces into everything. Sure.
3: Yeah, well, for those that don't know, you've hit on the real nuance of the story where uh, Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick, and based on Jesus' ministry, you get the sense that if Jesus had hustled over there, he could have healed them before he died. Right and he didn't he said oh he's sick okay well i'm going to stay here for 3 days and make sure he gets good and sick and ends up dying mm-hmm. and and by the time jesus gets there lazarus is quite dead uh dead for 3 days and um and in that moment he heals he he raises him from the dead to to give no doubt of his power and of his divinity and that he is the the life giver jesus is life and he gave lazarus physical life in a picture of the way he can give us spiritual life and that we can know god that jesus is the way the truth and the life no man goes to the father except through me and that through me and jesus said that and and that we can have access to the father eternal life um because jesus is the giver of life uh given by as an example of that story
0: mm-hmm. christopher let's say maybe i just got invited to go to a bible study and there's part of me that goes uh oh i am, i don't know if i want to go to this and and not know very much would this be a great book to to get and read and, and just get a real strong understanding of the outline of the Bible? Or is it even a good springboard for a Bible study itself?
3: Yeah, it's a springboard, and it's certainly going to give you an orientation. You know, my, my hope is that, believe me, I've been in those situations where you don't want to be the dumbest guy in the room. And I think, it's, you know, books like this can help. Uh, but I, you know, my goal, I, I, I hope people read the Bible first and foremost. And if they read 10 pages of this book and say, hey, you know, I should just read the Bible, my I, my prayer is that they get into the Bible, they read, engage, apply the Bible. And my challenge to be for someone like that you just mentioned is go to the Bible study anyway. What's the worst that can happen? And you go there and you learn something and you see how God works even in, way, in your own heart in ways that you didn't expect it. I found so many times when I go to church and when I don't feel like it, it's in those moments, especially, that God touches me in a unique way and shows me, "See, you needed me today. You mm-hmm. had something to learn." Yeah. Um, and so I would say, hey, "Go." No matter how you're going to feel, there's always going to be someone smarter than you there. Uh, but that's all right. Let's go get into God's Word together. And 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 I learn from people that have never read the Bible before when they have a fresh insight and they read the story for the first time. I learn things to say, "Wow, I never thought about it that way because I've been around the Bible now my whole life."
0: Yeah. So, your co-author Stan Campbell, how did you guys divvy up the work?
3: Yes, Stan, um did did the lion's share of the writing. So so I helped craft the beginning, set the direction, set the tone. Um, really helped shape some of the chapters, mm-hmm. but Stan is a master, and I love working with Stan. He's such a clean writer and good writer. And then when uh, he would draft it, and then I would get to get back into it and, and help shape it further. Uh, so it was a collaborative uh, for sure. But it was uh, I love Stan, and he's such a talented writer.
0: Yeah, and Christopher, uh, where do you live?
3: I live in uh, outside Chicago, about sixty miles west of Chicago. Okay, and
0: yeah. And uh, where did you go to college?
3: Uh went to Wheaton College, uh, did my undergrad, did some grad work at Wheaton College, and uh, have honestly been in Christian book publishing now for about 25 years, just with my life call of helping people read, engage, and apply the Bible through different resources and want people to um, discover God's Word for themselves.
0: Yeah, and are you and your family having a nice summer?
3: <laughs> it has been a busy summer. Our kids are now old enough that they're on missions trips, they're overseas, they're traveling different places, and it's... Uh, it's, it's hard to get all the cats together in one place.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Nicely done. Christopher Hudson has been my guest. His book uh, that he wrote with Stan Campbell is The Most Important Stories of the Bible, Understanding God's Word Through the Stories It Tells. Thank you so much, Christopher, and have a great day.
3: Bill, thank you so much.
0: Bye-bye. You bet. Yep. We'll take a short break, and then Hour 2 is going to be Dr. Mark Muska, and you know that's going to be Ask the Professor. Get your questions ready, and if they're already ready, you can just email me uh, at, at com or text me. Be back in a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.